today's episode we're joined by Matthew Harmon. Matt's a, a close friend of mine and it was it was really nice um, sort of hearing him answering all the questions so openly and honestly really. Um, and I even found out some new things I didn't know about him and sort of I think it helped him as well. I thought he really, really took to it and sort of really opened up about some of the things that's happened to him in his life and sort of um, how he coped with things and, and work-wise as well. A really interesting listen. So I thought you'd be a great person to get on this podcast, really, because against sort of adversity, really, you've sort of really progressed in sort of your career and sort of yourself as a person, really. So I just wanted to go a bit more in depth into that. So I thought we'd start off about um, around your work. So if you'd like to tell us about sort of how you got started and sort of uh, how you progressed up the ladder and all that sort of thing, just a bit of background, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I um, currently work for uh, Costa Coffee as an as an area manager, and I've um, officially got length of service there since two thousand and six. So uh, I've been uh, been there a, a long time. It started off um, back in two thousand and six. I actually started working in uh, Tesco's cafe down in uh, Scunthorpe. So got that part time job while I was down um, at John Leggett uh, College in doing some A-levels and um, progressed from there, really. After um, about 18 months of me working there in January 2008, that turned into a Costa Coffee. Um, so all the staff, including myself, transferred over and uh, worked there. So really, I was just a ground-level floor team member when I uh, started working working there, which I uh, really, really enjoyed. And I think it's like anything. When when you start working, when you're at college, you've got a part-time job. You don't uh, don't always know what you want to do. And I was definitely in that same same boat. I suppose I went to college for the um, more the crack, I would say, and the getting together with your mates and having a good time rather than any serious studying and actually thinking I want to do X, Y, and Z off the off the back of it. So uh, when that came to an end, I was still working for uh, Costa as the um, ground floor team member and uh, progressed from progressed from there really, and uh, all the way now to uh, twelve years later and um, being an area manager, obviously with various steps uh, steps along the way. Yeah, so I mean, it's amazing, really. I mean, you did it, especially doing it so young as well, didn't you? you sort of progressed up quite quickly. Um, one thing I thought I'd ask you about is how you find managing people. I mean, to me, you seem to have took to it, took to it like a duck to water. But I mean, I mean, how do you find managing that many people? Because you have got obviously quite a lot of sort of staff and everything like that on you. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, currently there's um, circa around two hundred people that um, uh, in, in my uh, area in my range of responsibility but I think it's just um I think it's me because I've worked there from uh, for a long time and worked from the ground upwards it's a, a real natural uh, natural ability that I've come to uh, hone in because you uh, know what it feels like to be on the ground and you really know what it feels like to be that uh, ground floor team member and in customer service it's always it's always difficult it's not an easy easy job and it's one of the most in in my personal opinion under underrated professions uh, out there because um Actually, yeah, you don't necessarily need a degree or any uh, education to do it, but you do work hard and it's on you're on your feet a lot of the time. So I think for me, having that real respect of um, for the people that do it on the ground floor and just being um, as personable as uh, as possible, really, and trying to get an understanding. But the big thing in managing people for uh, for me is not implementing what you would call in business a broad brusher approach. You've got to tailor your uh, individual style to every single person you speak to. Because if you treated everyone the exact same, then it, it just wouldn't work. Different people need different um, ways of management and different people uh, need different things. Some people require an arm around the shoulder and some people just like to hear it straight how it how it is. So I think that actually being able to flex your style and the ability to do that is what I found really uh, 
powerful. And um, yeah, it's great because I get to work with a, a massive um, range of people from all different um, backgrounds. And uh, yeah, being able to flex my style really, I think, gives me a, a, a edge on that and uh, really sets me on the front foot. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the main skills, obviously, you developed as well is sort of, um, sort of pro- solving problems, I guess. Um, Obviously, you've probably had some quite big problems as well. I mean, is that ever affect sort of your, I guess, your health? I guess so. Obviously, like anything in any work, we take things home with us, don't we? We sort of, you know, we sort of stew on things. Or have you found any techniques or anything you do use to sort of, I guess, cope with those stressful situations? Yeah, and I think I'm um, from a from a personal perspective, I'm not um, a great person at, um, I suppose, um, not having a plan ready and um, being able to um, deal with stuff. Um, on the on the OK, I always like to be planned ahead, and I like to um, have a good structure to my day, my week, and I like to have a um, a plan, a contingency plan, and then a contingency plan after after that. And that's how I would um, plan my um, workload. And because when stuff comes around um, the corner that is unexpected, um, it's always great to have actually pre thought of that before and have a and have a plan to back it up. And I think it's always uh, trying to plan ahead and trying to um, look at the what I would call the bigger picture of things. And that's how you would um, plan for that adversity, that instead of just focusing in what's in front of your face or what's going into on today, it's about actually thinking about actually what's this going to look like in six months' time? How's this decision I'm making today is going to affect six months, 12 months, or even longer than that into into the future? So that's how I would um, go around problem solving. And then when the problems come around, actually, um, you've maybe got an idea already about how you're going to deal with that. But absolutely in any kind of job uh, including mine I think there is stuff that you would take home with you and stuff that you would think about when you go to to bed at night but that's just a natural um, for me that's just a natural feeling that um, for someone that wants to do the best every every day and uh, when you go to bed at night that's a that's a quiet time when you do more stuff over uh, when you when you when you're lying there but I think for me always having a plan and always clearing my desk so to speak at the end of the day really helps me um, focus and concentrate on moving um forward with my week i don't like to leave anything so is anything at the sort end of, of um, i guess emo- emotional wise because that's a, a thing I, I find um a lot of people do they, they kind of cut the, the emotion out of the decision but obviously that's extremely difficult isn't it so is is there any way you actually do that do you cut the emotion out of it or you, is there anything you do when you, you're making those big decisions I, I think I think you're right in emotion, and there's, there's a lot of time when you can get caught up in the heat of the moment. And I think the big thing when you're making a decision, um, I would advise is always to think about it because something happens, or you need to make a decision, and you can make if you do it, if you make that decision within the first five minutes, ten minutes, even hour of something coming on you on onto your plate, you normally end up making that wrong decision. It's actually about taking a step back and thinking about it, and giving it a couple of days, and then making sure that you really. Um, have got the right decision because what I've found over over the years I've been making big decisions is actually the first thought into your mind isn't always in the end the most practical or the most logical so just taking that step back and having the time to think about it really helps me um, push that forward and make the right decisions in the in the long term and uh, yeah that would be my advice to anybody that actually when you um, make a decision make sure you take that real time to think about it and make sure you are doing the uh, doing the right thing because I think um, if you make a snap decision you'll end up saying the wrong thing doing the wrong thing and uh, regretting it later has there any been, ever been any situations where you've you maybe on reflection you feel like you've done something maybe you shouldn't and how did you deal with that yeah I, I, absolutely absolutely and I, I don't think that's a um even um a one-off one-off I think that can happen every day you have a conversation with somebody or you have a um you go in and make a decision and you think actually walk away thinking I could have done I could have done that a bit better but for me that's an absolute um 
an absolute learning curve. And I think if you um, if you do make the wrong decision or you actually um, do make an error, just own up to it and actually own up to it. Admit you've made that mistake, and I think then you get the respect um, from people and you can really move yourself forward. There's a there's nothing worse in my opinion than me making a mistake and trying to cover it up or blame somebody else or uh, try and make excuse after excuse. Actually hands up, I've made the wrong decision, I'll do something different next time. And I think people really um, buy into that and respect that and it helps you um, grow as a person or you're just ever searching for excuses. Yeah, no, that's definitely a good way to look at it. Is there any time, I mean, obviously without mentioning any names, where you may have caught someone out or something like that that you wouldn't mind sharing with us? Um, I don't know about caught somebody out, if that would be the way to... to um, to look at it, but I would say, yeah, definitely there's um, plenty of times when I would have um, potentially um, challenged someone in, um, in, even in my personal life. And I know that actually what they're saying isn't quite the, um, isn't quite the truth, but um, I think that um, as long as you do that in the right way, then you're going to get the um, right outcome. And uh, I think when you do catch somebody out and maybe they're telling a uh, little white lie, uh, not always to deceive you, but because they think it's the right thing to do, it's about, um, making sure that they understand that actually the reason you're pulling them up on this and the reason you're, you're coaching them on this, so to speak, is actually not because you um, get the pleasure in catching somebody out, it's because you want, you want them to do better and you want the, um, the bigger picture to be better. And I think in a, in a job like mine or a job when you line manage anybody, when you're the manager, I think what's always important to remember that you are going toward a, towards a, co- a collective goal. And, and that's in any job. If you lead a team of people, if they're excelling in their role, then nine times out of 10, that means you're excelling in your role because the work they do um, ref- reflects on yourself and the results they deliver ultimately roll up into, into your results. So I think it's always important to make that clear that when you have them conversations or you do potentially catch somebody out, that you're not doing that for the fun of it. You're doing that because actually um, you want as a collective to, um, to move forward. I mean, that, that brings on nicely, actually, to one of my next questions. So obviously what you've done, you've sort of progressed quite quickly. Um, in terms of that, did you set yourself goals along the way or has it just kind of happened naturally or are you sort of really, really focused on them? Do you sort of write them down? Do you have short-term goals, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And uh, yeah, in the, on the time leading up to my um, becoming an area manager, I did have quite a firm timeline on what I wanted to do to um, to get there. Back in uh, 2011, I got my first role as a uh, site manager. And uh, at that time, I set myself a five-year plan. Actually, by year five, I want to be into an area area manager's role. And then uh, set. I think I set maybe two ways I could um, I could get to that, knowing that um, there's not just one way to achieve your goal and then work, uh, work towards that. And always kept referring back to that when I was having any uh, conversations with anybody. So everyone was clear on what I was uh, working towards and how I was progressing along my plan. And then... Uh, I got this first role in September 2015, so actually four years into my five-year plan, so got there a year early, although when I first got the role into year four, it was only on a uh, seconded basis, so um, what you would potentially look at as a a trial period, and then actually by the time year five rolled around, I just about got the role permanent, so I did set myself them absolute uh, goals to get there, and then I've been doing it now uh, five years in September, and again, I've been looking at that five-year block, but then in between that now, where before I was completely focused on that five years and building my career forward in the preceding five years, I've had um, two children, which has then took over some priority. So then um, that progression has potentially slowed down a little bit because actually I've focused on, right, I can I can do a great job, be the best, um, be the best uh, area manager I can be, but also then focusing on my uh, family as well. 
Yeah, and that's really interesting. It brings around to another point. I mean, I mean, you actually had, if you don't mind me saying, sort of children quite young, didn't you? You got married quite young as well. I mean, how did that affect you? Just, I guess, your life in general. Is that something you sort of saw happening? Is something you wanted, sort of pictured as you were growing up, or did it just happen naturally? Yeah, no, um, no, that's not not something I pictured as I was growing up. To be perfectly honest, I never thought when I was. Um at school age or even 18 years old that yeah I want to get married and have a have a family young but then when I met Michaela uh, we were together a, a few years before we got married and I think that just felt right at the time and the natural progression we um, we met each other in 2010 and moved in together quite uh, relatively quickly we had our own property um, in 2011 and then that just got married a couple of years later in 2014 it just felt like a natural progression but um, I wouldn't say it was ever actually no this is a plan and by five years time three years time I want to have done this it's just what felt uh, felt natural at the time is how we've always always moved along with uh, that and same with having the two kids as um, well I think um, when you do get married um, after a couple of years you feel like actually now we probably should be having a having a child because that would be the um, in inverted commas maybe normal thing to do or what people would perceive as normal which obviously I appreciate isn't everyone chooses their own path but no it just what felt right to us at the uh, time and then once we had Emily in 2016 I was particularly keen on um, having a second um, quite close together so they were close in age so they could really um, grow up together and uh, my wife Michaela wasn't as keen at, at, at the time but we decided we were going to give it a go and I think now we both actually say that that's one of the best decisions we've ever made is to have the kids so close together where there's only um, less than two years age gap between them because now they uh, they grow up um, together also, and play together. You also had a little boy as well, the lovely Jack. Um, was you pleased it was a boy? Can be honest. Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. First time round, didn't care, didn't give a hoot. Said either or, I'd be happy. But second time round, there was none of that um, business, mate. It was a case of actually, it must be a boy. It has to be a boy. <laughs> has definitely has I mean, to be a boy. And uh, yeah, that was that was a great time. And I mean. Um, very much untraditional as well. I've done it all once before, and um, I don't know if many people would know this, uh, um, but when um, when we have the kids, you have a couple of scans. You have a twelve week scan and a twenty week scan, and the twenty week scan is the uh, is the gender gender reveal scan. Twenty weeks, and uh, for Jack, when it was a his twenty week scan, I actually had some uh, busy meetings that week at work, and me and Michaela had a chat, and I said, actually you can go and she was keen on taking a mum with her. So I didn't actually go to the 20 week scan for Jack and I didn't actually uh, know he was going to be a boy till about um, potentially six hours after, after Michaela had got the, uh, got the news. So I wasn't at the scan and um, got home about eight o'clock that evening and she had uh, broke the uh, news to me. I can't quite remember what she did. I think she may have got a, it's a boy, you know, baby grow or something and, uh, and given it to me wrapped up or in a bag or something something like that but again very much um i um i went to this meeting with a with a colleague and he was absolutely stunned that i was with him that day and had not gone to this 20 week scan but <laughs> at, at the at the end of the day that's just what felt that felt happy for me it, it's um, a lot of waiting a lot of waiting around michaela was comfortable i was comfortable you've done it all before but so i was i was more than comfortable with that for her to take a, a mum with her and um I don't know if that made it a bit more special when I did find out because um, she was having me a having me a kipper. She wouldn't tell me. <laughs> she knew, and she she wouldn't she wouldn't tell me. I got home and she'd made we were having something to eat, and she still wouldn't uh, wouldn't tell me. So um, yeah, uh, interesting how stuff works out like that, isn't it? How how has that sort of changed your sort of priorities then? I guess um, sort of how do you prioritise your time? Because in what you do, 
you obviously a lot you are very reliant are you on well people are very sorry reliant on you how do you manage your time and sort of split that between your sort of family as well yeah absolutely absolutely and i think i'm very lucky where we have a good support network um and we have a good routine i think what's really important for our family is the is a routine that we have that the kids go to nursery on these days and Michaela looks after them a particular day every week, which is a Tuesday. I look after the kids every Saturday. So there's a there's a set routine that doesn't change much. And that really helps me in my work-life balance because there's never too much change to that. So I know exactly where I am and I know what's work time and what's uh, time with the uh, time with the kids. But it but it is difficult. And uh, what you would find on a typical day is you, you get home from work, I don't know, five o'clock, something like that. And I've then sometimes got some emails to box off or a few bits and pieces to do on my laptop and I I do at half past seven because the kids go to bed at seven. So a couple of hours with the kids, put them to bed, very structured routine. We've got in the evening for them going to, going to bed and then, uh, and then do some work after, after that. So I think um, for us as a family, it's about having that um, set structure with the kids that, um, that really helps us plan our time. And uh, I suppose gives us that uh, knowledge that we both know where we are and what we're doing and uh, who's picking the kids up every day. It's never a debate because I know exactly what day I pick them up and what time. So does Michaela, vice versa, and that works well for us. Has that affected your relationship at all? I mean, it can be quite difficult, can't it, sort of all the general arranging and sort of just having kids in general, or is it sort of, is it all got all gone Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I say like any relationship, but I suppose I'm not in a place to say that because I don't know what other people's relationships are like, but there is the times when you have a you have an argument or you have a disagreement, but I think... Um, I, I think overall um, we're, we're in a position where we our relationship is now the, the, the family. It's very rare that me and Michaela would um, go out, um, just the two of us. We, we prefer to do stuff as a family or if we go out for something to eat, we prefer to go as a, as a family rather than just the two of us. And uh, that, that suits us and our, our family and our life. But um, no, I would say that, um, yeah, the relationship is obviously very different because there's stuff that you can't do when you've got kids um, that you could have done could have done before but um all that's i suppose forgotten and rewarding when the kids are playing or um yeah they're excelling in whatever they do okay cool um something i want to touch on because i know this is something you'll deal with and what pretty much high percentage of people in life are going through is a uh, sort of mental health and mental health in sort of in general and in the workplace i mean you must come across that a lot um i mean yeah i mean how do you deal with that first one in the workplace? And then I guess sort of have you experienced any, anything similar? I mean, I know you've been through some traumatic things as well, just like most people, but have you ever experienced anything like that? Um, I, 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 I feel like um, I, my coping mechanism with, with them kind of issues are very much a case of um, I try to be, uh, try to be strong and try to keep, keep my emotions, I suppose, bottled or bottled in and always put a brave face on, which isn't the right thing to do all the time. And sometimes that gets on gets on top of you and I can speak to my uh, wife uh, about that. But yeah, absolutely, I have. And there, there's been times in my life where I felt everything's getting on top of you and you don't know which way you're going to turn, um, which way you're going to turn next. And uh, I think the important thing there is to have a um, close-knit support network of people that you can speak to about that and have a chat with her about it and I, I would say I've got that I can speak to uh, speak to my wife about it I've got work colleagues that I'm close to that I suppose understand the pressures of my uh, role because they're in a, in, in a similar position and it's great to speak to them and then even going back to um, 
speaking to um, my um, mother about it because I suppose when you're a child, you always turn to your mother, your father, your parents for for that advice. And I don't think that changes even now when I'm when I'm 30. Although me and my uh, mum may not speak um, um, on a, a regular regular basis, as in every day, we do speak probably once a week, once every other week. But I know if I have got anything going on stressful, I can go and speak to her. And I think it's just that. I don't know, just that comfort that you got when you was a child from a parent of, um, of being there for you and even uh, their advice may not always be the best, but it just gives you that comforting um, comforting feeling. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I've had times where I feel like stuff has got on top of me too much and uh, the way I would deal with, with that is probably bottle it up a bit too much. But then I know I've got that um, close-knit set of people I can speak to uh, about it and not even not even come up with a solution to the problem. Yeah, I feel like I come up with that on my own, but just to just to get it off your chest, so to speak. No, that's amazing. And again, that's that's something like I say, I've known you for a long, long time. That's not something I I know. So it's really interesting for me to sort of hear as well. I mean, um, obviously, if you don't mind me saying, you had a very tragic sort of issue, sort of when you were uh, growing up uh, regarding your, your father. Did, did that bring you closer to your mum in the end? I mean, obviously, it's been a long time since. Yeah. Uh, would you mind giving us a bit of story on yeah, that? Yeah, abso- absolutely. So. Um... Uh, my dad died in 2006 when I was six, 16, and it was a, a, a all of a sudden it was a sudden sudden death, so not expected. He wasn't ill or anything like that. It was um, what I would say an accident, and uh, that caused his death. And uh, the challenge for me then, I lived with um, I lived with my dad, and I lived with my brother, who was 13 at the time, three years younger than me. So um, it was a, we didn't live as a family unit. The four of us. My mum lived in um, a place called uh, Rugby, which was. Um, about 45 minutes from Scunfort where we, we live. So we actually lived with my dad. So that was obviously a, a big change at 16, losing a parent, but then also having to completely change our, our living situation as um, as well. So uh, my uh, mum and her husband or partner at the time, husband is now Danny, moved into our what I would call our family home where me and my brother and my dad lived. And uh, I suppose that made it much, much easier because we weren't up uprooted. But yeah, of course that brought... Um, brought me closer to my uh, mother because um, we, we, were, we were close enough anyway, but I suppose um, it's very different at that kind of age when you don't live with somebody. You're never going to be as close as you do if you do live with, with them. So um, th- that would have brought us absolutely um, absolutely closer. And uh, I think at 16 or my brother at 13, it's always something very challenging to, um, very challenging to deal with. And it's something that um, I would say my coping mechanism was exactly what I just explained to you previously. I would probably just uh, bottle it up and show a, a a strong a strong side to that, which over the years then has probably built up and burst out of me. Or I, I don't know, maybe three or four times in the preceding fourteen years, where I've had an absolute yeah, yeah. this has gone and it's really got me and uh, and uh, yeah, it's um, got on top of me. And that's normally then maybe an evening thing or a one night thing, and then by the next day I'm I'm good. And uh, to actually, when that when that did happen, sorry yeah. to interrupt you. So when, when that explosion did come, because like you say, you've, you've kind of bottled it up away when that explosion come, did it feel good afterwards or was it just one of those things where, right, we go again type thing? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it did feel, it did feel good as, um, I know, I wouldn't say it did feel good. I, I, it's hard to say how it felt. And when that when that's happened, I said three or four times over the last however many years, that's probably not happened for um, a good number of years, probably five or more. So that was kind of more in my early 20s when that happened. And I wouldn't say I did feel good after it. No, I would say I felt very, very similar. And it was kind of a situation where the the, um, explosion happened on an evening. But then the next morning, it was like nothing ever happened, if that makes sense. It was just back to 
back to um, you, business as usual, so to speak, just how I would normally normally be. And then um, potentially that wasn't then spoke about. Then potentially I never spoke to anyone about what happened that previous evening or whatever it was and, uh, and moved on, which is strange. It sounds as if sort of your, like I say, your coping mechanism, your, sort of your routine is kind of, your routine is basically your coping mechanism. Would you say that's fair? Or would you say yeah, that's... absolutely. And um, I think that's just the type of person I am where I like stuff to be organised and I like to be um, know exactly where I am. Um, where I uh, where I am, and um, but what I would say about all all of this, um, and then um, people when I was sixteen, my dad died, and I think um, what it did give me, even back then, it gave me a bit of a, um, I suppose a a purpose, not a purpose, but a value to life, where um, you realise that not everything's always going to be perfect all the time, and I I think personally that that helped me growing up because something tragic happened and. It would have been much better if that didn't happen, obviously. But um, I think what that has done, that has led, um, led me to live my life, realising that not everything's always going to be perfect and stuff is going to come your way that you're not going to like and is going to going to challenge you. But you do need to get through it because stuff does get um, does get better. And when you have a traumatic event in your teenage years like that, I think that does... I feel it set me up for uh, uh, to have this strong mentality... Uh, now I'm a father and into into adulthood because um, I realise that not everything's hunky dory all the time and it's not always going to be um, plain sailing. I think that gave me the um, the strength to um, I suppose to move on with it really. Yeah, and my year there, I really do the way you sort of look at things. I mean, you've you've really turned a big negative into a positive there. We we could have let it sort of really get to you. So I, I commend you for that. I really do. Well, will change the mood anyway, but I'm, I'm, thanks for talking about that, because now that might have been difficult. So um, move on to a bit of a quickfire round, so a bit of word association. So I'm trying out these new things on the podcast, so um, little sort of uh, special rounds or whatever. And the first one I'm going to try out is sort of a word association. So probably know how it works, so I'll, I'll say a, it's a word and just say whatever the first word comes into your head. Got it? Got it. Right, colour. Green. Family. Michaela. Football. Man United. Dog. Holiday. Iron Apper. <laughs> yes, mate. Uh, work. Uh, Costa. Running. Mo Farah. Hairline. Receding. <laughs> Hobby. Formula One. Alcohol. I, I missed that one, sorry. Alcohol. Budweiser. Money. Cash. Health. Happiness. Fred Goff. <laughs> Grey jumper. <laughs> Full on blazing out, probably. Uh, gravel pits. Oh, good times. Yeah, mint times. Okay, uh, Thanks for that. I'll move on to our sort of next one now. So again, the podcast is health, wealth, and positivity. So I try and get fused for all related topics. So um, obviously, with your job and sort of the, the way you progress the ladder, obviously, money money's come with that. I mean, how important would you say money is to you personally in your life? Mm, I think so. I think a question like that is very hard to difficult because what do you do? Do you put a do you put a percentage on it? Do you put a do you put a scale on it? I don't really know how you would answer that question, but. Um, Obviously, um, I don't think it's the absolute be-all and end-all, but I, my honest opinion is that um, it's great to be able to um, have um, a, a 
spare income that makes lets me provide for my family and lets us go on a, a nice holiday or buy the kids a nice Christmas Christmas present. So I don't know how I would put a scale on that, but yeah, I think it's um, there is a balance there, and it's great to be able to provide the things that my kids uh, my kids want. And um, yeah, that uh, means means something to me. So I would say it definitely is important in that respect. Yeah. Is there anything you do in terms of money, I guess, to sort of long-term? Is it in, in terms of like any investments? Do you save? Do you sort of, do you, um, yeah, are you careful with your money? Or yeah, I would, say, I would say we're relatively care, careful and we don't, um, we don't splash out on stuff that we, um, we don't, um, we don't need necessarily. And we don't, we don't go out a, a great deal and spend money all the time. But, um, I would say saving wise, uh, I, I, I don't know. I've never, never invested money in anything or I've never um, thought to um, invest my uh, money into anything, but I definitely save where I, where I can more consciously when I was a bit, uh, a bit younger, but I think as you've done it so consciously for so many years, then that just becomes a natural, um, natural behavior to save uh, because it's been, was conscious when you were younger, you were saving up for a house or this, that and the other or a car or, mm. I remember when I was um, 17, sure as you were, Johnny, my car insurance, I think it was £174 a month. And I only got paid about £200 a month for my part-time job. So you had to save and you couldn't do anything else. So, um, what, car, what car was uh, that again? It was, a, it was a Fiat, uh, Fiat Punto. We've, I, we've actually got a picture of me and you um, somewhere uh, with that Fiat Punto um, down in Timberlands, if you remember. Ah. Oh, I did. Is, is that before you reversed it into the side? I can't remember. No, I can't, I can't remember. But yeah, so I, th- I think because <laughs> early on that saving culture was um, ingrained into me because I was always saving up to buy, buy a house from Michaela or the car insurance. And um, it's not something that I'll consciously do now, but I think because you've done it for so long, it just becomes a natural behaviour like anything. You do it for long enough and it does become uh, the norm. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, so in, t- in terms of your life, then, I mean, um, would you say there's anything that you, you say is particularly important to you in your life? Do you have like, you know, or is it just your standard sort of family, friends, etc.? Or do you have anything interesting that's, that people might not know that you, that's important to you? In your no, life? just, just, fam- just, just, just family and friends are the usual. I mean, that's, that's important. Um, obviously that's, uh, that is important. And uh, the, the other things that I enjoy doing in my life, I enjoy, um, my main hobby would be uh, F1. I really enjoy that. It's an interesting hobby for me because I always wonder to my um, to myself how I've kept into that hobby for so long, as in I watch it religiously. I, I, I would read up on it daily on Sky Sports News and I would watch every episode there is going or every feature and every race build-up qualifying. And uh, I always uh, wonder, and it'd be good to get your thoughts on this, how do you keep an interest going like that for so long? And I've had it for years, as you know, when I have nobody else to speak to about it and nobody else that's interested in it. So Michaela doesn't give a hoot. Mm. None of my friends particularly enjoy the Formula One. It's not nothing I speak to anybody about. But so then how do I maintain that interest for for so long? Because it's like you like to talk about the football or the rugby with your mates like we do, but no one would speak to me about that. And I don't know anybody else that likes the Formula One. So it amazes me how I yes. keep that interest when it's just me on my own watching it. Yeah. Yeah, similar, I guess, similar to me with boxing, I suppose. Yeah, there's no really, there's anyone particularly has a, like a more of a hardcore interest like you like suggested yeah. there. I think if you, just, if you just like it, don't you just end up doing naturally? Like I said, I've always checking, following the sort of certain boxes on Twitter and things like that. And you still kind of get a bit excited about it, don't you? It's weird. You can't really describe it. Um, like you were for me, well, I went, oh, right, the next race is coming up. You, it's it's weird, isn't it? But yeah, to, to maintain the interest, you, you just, I think you just do it naturally, don't you? But I'm sure there'll be, 
situations where things fizzle out. Uh, but if it's, but you've grown up with that your entire life, haven't you? Yeah, I'm, absolutely. Do you think if things would have gone a bit differently, do you think maybe uh, you could have pursued that hobby a little bit further, or do you think your size counted against yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm too too tall, and too heavy for for that as a as more, and it's an expensive hobby as well. And there's a there's a fine line in uh, I suppose in any amateur sports or grassroots sports between a hobby and then trying to turn it more into um more of a, a professional focus or something like that but i think as a, as a hobby honestly um it's an expensive one and um, unless you've got the real time and money to dedicate to that and be very selfish in it and um, then i don't think it's something i could have pursued any further particularly because of me having the family and stuff i think um there's more important things to um spend my time and money on with the kids rather than a not a selfish hobby, but an expensive hobby that would take up a lot of my time away from that. Yeah, definitely. Well, well to be honest, mate, it's, it's been great. I mean, I really appreciate you sort of coming on and being being as honest as you want. And it's good for us because I won't say that even being friends or whatever, you, you ever ask, speak about these things, do we? I think social sort of thing dictates that we don't really have these honest conversations. Things like that. So I think it's been great. But I always like to finish on... Um, a positive note. So, if you wouldn't mind, if you could share with us your happiest memory. Um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a great question, and I I think unfortunately, Johnny, I'm going to have to go with a standard uh, stock answer for most um, uh, people uh, my age, especially when they've got got kids. But the happiest memories for me have got to be having the having the two kids, Jack and Emily, and um, the, them being. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna even say them the, the actual birth or being there at the birth because I'm a very um, non-emotional, non-emotional fella in that, in that respect, and it's not the kind of event that I would um, I would cry cry at or get emotional at. I'd just be there and as I was and just said, "Brilliant, yep, great, let's have a hold, fantastic," and I didn't get welled up. But so that <laughs> not that actual particular event would be the happiest memory, but the happiest memory is having the kids and watching them watching them grow up as a as a collective rather than pinpointing a one. A one uh, moment. I, I didn't. I don't remember feeling an outpouring of emotion when my kids were born. But I, I feel it more now. I feel much more emotion towards it today than I did on the day they were they were born. Because I know them and I know the personalities, and I look forward to to seeing them and do what they've a, got to say. Do you ever take time to sort of, I guess, compare and just have a time to think about them? Like obviously, and just very ultra focused going forward. Do you ever get a chance to look back and, and focus on any of them happy memories? Um, yeah, I, th- I think so. I think I, I think I, um, I think I do. And um, it's hard, it's hard to say, hard to say when it's not something that I would ever set time aside to, to reflect or set time aside to, but what sparks my happy memories and whether that's something with the kids, something I've done in, um, before the kids with Michaela or something like, for example, going out for the day to a particular place, or something I've done with my friends before that, or my family, or my mum and dad when I was a kid. I think what sparks some happy memories for me is seeing something that reminds me of it on the telly or out in person. So if I see um, something on the telly where there's a programme with kids on and they're doing a particular thing, I think, oh, great, my kids do that. And then I start thinking about that particular time. Or if I, um, uh, a good time is when I used to go with you and, yeah. the, and the other our other friends on holiday and you watch a program related to that or something. And that sparks the, the happy memory. So it's not something I would ever set time aside to reflect on because I'm focused on going forward, but yeah, definitely think about stuff when something I suppose provokes one of them uh, memories. Yeah, for sure. I mean, 
Again, well, thank you very much for coming on, mate. It's been a, I really appreciate you doing this now, honest you've been, and how, yeah, how, how straight have you been with all the answers, and I do appreciate that, man. So, again, thanks for coming on the podcast. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, mate.